0: The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. When it comes to religion, one of the mantras that we continually hear is that there are three great monotheistic faiths Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But did you know there's a fourth religious movement with claims to believe in one God? Let me introduce you to the ancient Samaritans, a faith closely related to Judaism that still survives in the turbulent Middle East. Welcome to Biblical Samaria. We're standing right outside of the Samaritan Museum. And today we're gonna learn why Jesus referred so often, very positively, to the Samaritans in the Bible. You probably know the parable of the Good Samaritan, but did you know that the Samaritan people actually still exist? Yes, the Samaritans live. Shalom, I'm Christine Darick. The New Testament records three positive incidents concerning the Samaritans. In John chapter 4, There's Jesus' amazing encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And in Luke 17, a Samaritan leper was the only person among a group of ten lepers who were healed by Jesus who returned to give him thanks. And in Luke chapter 10, perhaps the Lord's best-known parable was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the title Good Samaritan has come to mean someone who helps a stranger in distress many hospitals and charitable organizations are named after the good samaritan bible prophecy watchers who are interested in the restoration of israel may not give a passing thought to the samaritans yet to me the samaritans small as they are are an important component of the end time scenario here in the middle east If we consider that the sovereign God of Israel is at this time in the process of recovering all the tribes of Israel, it's significant to contemplate that the Samaritans consider themselves to be descended from Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of the patriarch Joseph. Recently, we visited the Samaritan Museum on Mount Gerizim near Nablus. Nablus is a Palestinian town known in Hebrew as ancient Shechem, in Biblical Samaria, where Joseph's bones were buried. Cohen Hosni, the Samaritan priest who founded the Samaritan Museum, explained that Samaritans are descended from the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, as well as from the tribe of Levi, whereas the Jewish people identified themselves mainly as descendants from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, as well as Levi, because the Levites lived amongst all the tribes as priests. The name Samaritan comes from a Hebrew word meaning to guard or to watch, and so they believe that they're the true guardians of the five books of Moses, the Torah, and the ancient Hebrew language, which was a language of pictographs still used in the Samaritans' liturgical services. The Samaritan alphabet developed from the Paleo-Hebrew alphabet and it's used to write Samaritan Hebrew as well as Samaritan Aramaic. The Samaritans refer to themselves as B'nai Yisrael, children of Israel, a term used by all Jewish denominations. However, Samaritans don't refer to themselves as Jews. They consider themselves to be Israelites and direct descendants of the people of Israel. Since their arrival in the Holy Land more than 3,650 years ago, they claim never to have left the Holy Land. Besides representing tribes other than Judah and Benjamin, one of the reasons why the Samaritans are key end time players is that they have maintained the Passover rituals for thousands of years. The Samaritans have faithfully retained the ancient Hebrew script. They've retained a high priesthood, the slaughtering and eating of lambs on Passover Eve, and the celebration of the Hebrew New Year at the calendar's first month beginning around springtime. But Passover is particularly important in the Samaritan community. And so Jews who were dedicated to rebuilding their third temple and reinstituting sacrifices have studied the ancient Samaritan rituals. The Samaritan priesthood, descendants of the Levitical priests, insist that their Passover ceremony hasn't changed since Bible days. Many Jews remember the temple sacrifices at their Passover meal by placing a roasted chicken wing or a lamb bone shank on their Seder plate. But the small Samaritan sect still engaged in the ritual slaughter of sheep. And our ministry tours have attended the Samaritan Passover, and we've watched several hundred Samaritan men of all ages, just like a scene out of the Bible, dressed in white, sacrificing sheep to symbolize the ancient Israelites' journey from Egyptian slavery to freedom in the Holy Land. And they claim to be fulfilling instructions in the book of Exodus. Typically, there's one sheep per family. The sheep carcasses are placed on long wooden skewers and put in pits, about 10 animals to an oven. Well, the Samaritan faith is based on the oneness of God, the Torah, the five books of Moses, and they believe in the day of judgment and especially they believe in the Holiness of Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans don't recognize the sanctity of Jerusalem and they don't recognize Mount Moriah or Mount Zion. They claim Mount Gerizim as their sacred precinct and the original sanctuary. The Samaritan Shavuot, the festival of weeks, is characterized by services of continual prayer, especially over the stones on Mount Gerizim that Their tradition attributes to the time of Joshua's conquest of the land of Canaan. And during Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Samaritans build their tabernacles inside their homes and not outdoors as the Jewish people do. The Samaritans claim descent from the Kingdom of Northern Israel, which split from the Kingdom of Judah after the reign of King Solomon. When the northern tribes broke rank, they appointed their own king, bringing the north into continual conflict with the southern kingdom. This northern confederacy was sometimes called Israel or Samaria. Cohen Husni is the brother of the current Samaritan high priest and he's also one of the main spiritual guides of the approximately only 360 Samaritans who live on Mount Gerizim. His Samaritan village is adjacent to the Israeli community called Har Breha, or Mount of Blessing, named for Mount Gerizim. Like the Jews, the Samaritans keep the Sabbath and they celebrate the Levitical feast, but they're divided from the Jews because of that dispute over the location of the sacred mountain where Abraham prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac. Samaritans believe it was Mount Gerizim while the majority of the Jews claim the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The Samaritan Ten Commandments are grouped in such a way as to make their tenth commandment to be the place of worship at Mount Gerizim. The differentiation boils down to the Samaritan belief that the summit of Mount Gerizim is the true location of God's holy place, as opposed to the foundational stone on the Temple Mount as Judaism teaches. Well, when the Israelites entered the Promised Land, six of the twelve tribes stood on the Mount of Blessing on Mount Gerizim, the tribe Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And the remaining six tribes of Israel stood on the Mount of Cursing, Mount Ebal. And all that's described in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. When all the Israelites first entered the Promised Land, The tribes listened to the proclamation of God's law as they stood on both Mounts, Gerizim and Ebal. They heard the blessings of obedience and also the curses that would result from disobedience. And the people of God said, Amen, to all the precepts of God. Well, because the major issue between Jews and Samaritans has always been the location of God's choice as to the correct place to worship God, Mount Zion or Mount Gerizim, it should be no surprise that in the New Testament this controversy was a hot topic of discussion. For example, in John chapter 4, Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, which is near to Mount Gerizim. Jesus and his disciples were passing through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. And while resting there, he asked the Samaritan woman for a drink of water from Jacob's well. Jesus accepted without question the woman's assertion that she and her people were Israelites, descendants of Jacob. It's surprising to scholars that Jesus deigned to have a theological discussion with a woman, especially a Samaritan woman, because rabbis didn't normally interact with women on theological matters, and a Samaritan woman was always considered unclean to Jewish people. The whole incident, in fact, was remarkable because Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews because of the heated religious controversy between them. Both Jewish and Samaritan religious leaders forbade any contact with the opposite group and neither was to enter each other's territory or even to speak to one another. Yet, Jesus knew that Jews and Samaritans are related they're all descended from Jacob. And the woman at the well admitted that the Samaritans were also looking for the Messiah, just like the Jews. So in their divine appointment at Jacob's well, Jesus read her like a book. And so she realized that he was a prophet. Indeed, he was the long-awaited Messiah. So she took the opportunity to ask Jesus, which mountain is the holy mountain? She said, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus affirmed the Jewish position, but astonishingly he added, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said, You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation proceeds from the Jews. He was also referring to himself as a member of the tribe of Judah and as a descendant of King David, as being the promised Messiah. Yet Jesus also told her the time had come when true worshipers will begin to worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For he said, these are the kind of worshipers that the Father truly seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. That's one of the most profound lessons in this entire Bible. We don't have to pray ritually at any particular mountain, and we don't have to bow to God in in any one particular direction, but worshiping the God of the universe in Spirit and truth anywhere and everywhere is what the Father is seeking. I believe the positive interactions that Jesus had with Samaritans in the gospel accounts are prophetically very significant because the Samaritan people today are very open to Jesus. They're not offended at all by Jesus. He's even a personality proudly represented in the Samaritan Museum with various references, paintings, and even a postcard. Although they don't yet look upon Jesus as their long awaited Messiah, The Samaritans are at ease with the mention of Jesus. They enjoy naming themselves and their institutions after the Good Samaritan, the well-known parable of Jesus. And I believe that if the risen Lord Jesus visited Mount Gerizim today, he would find a warm welcome there. I also find it fascinating that according to quotes at Wikipedia, modern Samaritan populations have a much greater affinity genetically to Jews than to their neighboring Palestinian Arabs. However, much of the local Muslim population of Nablus is believed to be descended from Samaritans who were forced to convert to Islam. But most important for intercessors to know is that the Samaritans claim that they were the true Israel who were descendants of the ten tribes who were taken into Assyrian captivity and those tribes are now considered lost, but the Samaritans see themselves as the remnant of those northern tribes who had remained in the land. I believe the Samaritans are part of the great revival that's coming to the nation of Israel. And in the meantime, let's examine some more New Testament references to this ancient community. Jesus healed ten lepers, and only one returned to praise God, and He was a Samaritan, also the best known reference to Samaritans, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is found in the Gospel of Luke. Now I'd like to explain how the parable of the Good Samaritan came about in the ministry of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, the parable evolved from a question concerning the greatest commandment. A lawyer came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered that the greatest commandment is, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. That was a direct quote from Deuteronomy 6.5. And the lawyer added, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That was a quote from Leviticus 19.18. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the lawyer wouldn't stop there. Wishing to justify himself, he also asked Jesus, so then who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus replied with a very politically incorrect parable. The parable that we know today as the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus said, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. They stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. By chance, a certain priest saw him but passed by on the other side. Jesus didn't stop to explain if the priest had passed by because the man may have been dead and the priest didn't want to defile himself ceremoniously. And the same thing happened when a Levite passed by on the other side, refusing help. But traveling on the road was a certain Samaritan who was moved with compassion. He stopped and he poured oil and wine on the man's wounds and bandaged him up. Then the Samaritan set the injured man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, the Samaritan gave two coins to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever you spend beyond this, I'll repay you when I return. Now Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? Well, the lawyer couldn't bring himself even to say the word Samaritan. So he answered, the one who showed him mercy was the true neighbor. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. And that's the parable. I discovered a fascinating footnote to the parable. Some of the early Church Fathers described this parable of the Good Samaritan as an allegory. It's by no means a perfect allegory, but I want to share it with you because it's interesting. In the allegory, Jerusalem represents paradise, but the dangerous road to Jericho represents life's journey and the downward way of the world. The injured man represents Adam, all of mankind. The robbers are the hostile powers that we face in a fallen world. The priest represented the law, the Levite represented the prophets, but the compassionate Samaritan represented the Messiah, Jesus himself. The man's wounds represent disobedience and consequences of sin, and the Wayside Inn represents the church, which is after all a hospital for sinners. The Good Samaritan promised that he would return to check on the injured man. He left the equivalent of two days payment and that prophesies the Savior's second coming after 2,000 years. Because you see one day is as a thousand years in Bible code language. And so by identifying with the enemies of the Jews and implying that he was the Good Samaritan Jesus was the original social justice warrior. In light of this parable, I find it fascinating that in the Gospels, Jesus was accused by the religious authorities of his day of not only being demon-possessed, but I'd never noticed this until this week when I was preparing this program. Jesus' detractors also accused him of being a Samaritan. The reference is found in John eight forty eight. The Jewish religious leaders meant to insult Jesus by saying, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Jesus denied being demon-possessed. He said they dishonored him. But he didn't pay any attention to the accusation of being a Samaritan because their taunt was meant to accuse him of not holding to authentic Jewish beliefs. Knowing full well that Jesus was a Jew, and he was descended from the tribe of Judah, and calling him a Samaritan, the religious leaders of his day, were saying that in their eyes, Jesus was no better than the most hated of all of their neighbors. But there's good news. There's healing in the gospel. So let's study for a moment the references to the Samaritans after the death and resurrection of Jesus. After his resurrection, Jesus instructed his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and then unto the uttermost parts of the earth. As I see it, the early church healed a lot of the hatred and a lot of the old generational wounds between Jews and Samaritans. Isn't this after all the ministry of reconciliation that all believers should be engaged in? All of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Messiah Yeshua and He gave us the Ministry of Reconciliation. And so we find in Acts chapter 8, Philip the Evangelist, fulfilling the Lord's prophecy about being a witness in Samaria. Philip went down and preached the Gospel in Samaria and a city-wide revival took place. When the Samaritans heard Philip and saw the signs and the wonders that he performed in the name of Jesus, they all paid close attention to his preaching. For with loud shrieks, unclean spirits came out of many Samaritans, and the lame and the paralyzed were healed. So, hallelujah, there was great joy in Samaria. News quickly spread of this revival to Jerusalem, and the apostles in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to pray for the Samaritans and lay hands on those who were baptized. And the Samaritans received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says that the apostles returned to Jerusalem and preaching the gospel along the way in many villages of the Samaritans. Isn't that wonderful? And according to Acts nine thirty one, at that time the churches had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 15, the apostles Paul and Barnabas, being sent on their way by the church, passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they described in detail conversions from those places, and they were bringing great joy to all the brethren with their testimonies. So it can happen again, and I hope you will pray with me for the Samaritan remnant today, for this small but very significant and prophetic community. They've suffered much through the centuries and they're very precious to the Lord. He has remembered them and He has preserved them as a remnant and He's brought them to this season. I also find it fascinating that, according to quotes at Wikipedia, modern Samaritan populations have a much greater affinity genetically to Jews than to their neighboring Palestinian Arabs. However, much of the local Muslim population of Nablus is believed to be descended from Samaritans who were forced to convert to Islam. They were once a large community. The Samaritan population was significantly decimated in the wake of the Samaritan revolts against the Byzantine Empire, but a remnant remains. Conversion to Christianity under the Byzantines reduced their numbers, and by the Middle Ages less than 2,000 Samaritans remained in the Holy Land. Also, conversions to Islam further reduced their numbers and left the imprint of the Arabic language and culture upon the Samaritans. As of the latest statistics last year, the Samaritan population numbered only 796 in the Holy Land, divided between Mount Gerizim and in the city of Halon, just outside of Tel Aviv. So one of the biggest problems facing the remnant Samaritan community is the issue of continuity. So to counter this, they have agreed that men from the community may marry non-Samaritan women, primarily Israeli Jewish women, provided that the new wives will agree to strict Samaritan religious practices. You see, when you visit both Judea and Samaria, the biblical heartland and places like the Samaritan Museum, the Bible absolutely comes alive. And even now, Jesus has a special place in every Samaritan heart because of the way he treated them humanely and justly. I believe the Samaritans will be included in the revival soon to come in the land of Israel. The revival mentioned in Jeremiah 31, and elsewhere in the Word of God. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. Hallelujah. And so we invite you to be watchmen on the walls in both Judea and Samaria. And feel free to contact me on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates and our free color magazine Exploits, based upon Daniel eleven thirty two, the people who do know their God will be strong, not weak, and do exploits. A reminder that our Jerusalem Channel app enables you to watch all of our videos at any time and to read the entire Bible. You can download the app to your mobile phone or tablet free of charge. And so, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Daring, Maranatha, and Shalom. Shalom from Jerusalem, the very center of the world and the city of God. Jerusalem is always inspiring to visit during the Jewish holiday the Feast of Tabernacles coming up in September. And I'm personally inviting you to join us in the City of the Great King for five nights of joyful celebration. Exports Ministry has planned a special tour package, including participation with thousands of Israelis and guests from all over the world in the annual Jerusalem March. So bring your flags, banners, and walking shoes We'll also explore many of the ancient wonders and spiritual highlights around the city. And we'll have a time of feasting and celebration. Our tour package includes options to stay at two of Jerusalem's nicest hotels, the panoramic Dan Jerusalem on Mount Scopus and the internationally famous and historic boutique American Colony Hotel, home of the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a Holy Land pilgrimage that you'll long remember. So plan now to come up to Jerusalem this September and join our Exploits ministry at the Feast of Tabernacles. For details, check out our website at exploits.tv.